0: Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Amen. You doing well today? How many are ready for Christmas? How many are ready to start shopping? Huh. It's a great time of year. The stores are open midnight. Some are open 24 hours. That's a great thing when you're sitting at the house at 11 o'clock board saying, I think I'll go shopping. I, I love that. It's awesome. Well, we've been doing a series called The Answer. The first week we did um, Jesus is God's answer to sin. We did the second week was Jesus is God's answer to the adversary. Today we're going to talk about Jesus being the answer to death. You know, God sent Jesus into the world to be an answer for what the world had created, for what man had created. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Last night we had the Christmas party, had a great time. The ladies at the office do such a great job setting it up. Karen and, and Kathy and Teresa, they work so hard. Go ahead, give them a hand. And, um, but I was, I was walking around last night, talking with people and different things. And I, I was looking on the table and I saw that there has cards on the table, had questions on them. I guess these are conversation starters for you around the table. And, and so I really hadn't seen them up to that point. So I looked at the one. And Rick showed it to me, and I was like, okay. This is the question. When, if ever, did God become more than a word to you, and how did it happen? How many know that that is not a light question at the Christmas party? I'm I'm like, all of a sudden, we have this deep, I mean, it was almost like theology 101, all right? This was not a light question. But then, I'm thinking about the Christmas season, you know, we sing songs, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 right? Hark, the herald angels the herald, the herald angel sing, all that stuff. All these joyful songs. We're at a Christmas party. Everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's festive. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. What would you like said at your funeral? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, 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 what? What would you like said at your funeral? Well, so much for that, Joy. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to go on record. Dumbest Christmas party conversation starter ever. <laughs> okay, like, oh, feeling good now. Thanks for, the, thanks for the upbeat question. Let's have that conversation. All right? I'm going to I'm say, I just hope it's not, I don't die at this party. All right? Because, you know, you know, you think about that. What would I want said at my funeral? Because how many know funeral implies that somebody has to die? Oh, let's talk about that at the party. By the way, speaking of, uh, those of you who don't know, Pastor John's father passed away this week, and uh, his memorial service is tomorrow, uh, 3 o'clock, in Colport at the Glendale Assembly of God. So we certainly pass our condolences and, on to the family. Um, But I want to talk about death today for a little bit, only because I don't want to talk about death at Christmas. I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about the answer to death. Jesus is the answer to death. You know, when we look at death, we view death, when we think about death, if we don't view it through the spectrum, who is Jesus? If we don't view it through the window of Jesus, how many know it can leave us pretty despondent? It can leave us pretty discouraged. It can leave us pretty hopeless. But when you begin to view death through the one who is Jesus, it changes it dramatically. And so I'm going to read you a few scriptures. I'm not going to have you turn to a central scripture this morning. I'm going to be delving into a number of different scriptures. And, And so let me begin with the first one. And by the way, let me give you a reminder. Next Sunday, Christmas Eve, we have our regular morning service. And then we will have a Christmas Eve service at five in here. All right. So there's two services, one in the morning, six six o'clock. Who would I say five? Six o'clock. But you come five, you won't be late. As a matter of fact, some of you should plan to come for five. (laughs) I'm not looking at you, Jason. (laughs) Okay. For for some of you, it's at five. All right. (laughs) Just kidding. Six o'clock. All right. Remember our scripture we started with at the beginning of this series. Genesis chapter 3. We talked about man and Adam and Eve and, and God giving him the command and the prohibition. And let me read to you what God said to them. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will die, all right? God specifically told the man what he could eat, and he told him what he could not eat. He specifically told him what the consequence for his disobedience would be. How many of you have ever disobeyed your parents knowing what the consequence would be, even even you did it, right? Absolutely, I have, all right? All of us have done it. It's amazing. We do it to God, too. You see, and so now the devil comes attempting man to disobey God by telling God, man that God isn't a God of his word. Come on. How many know God is always a God of his word? If God says it, how many know he means it? How many know he'll keep what he says? All right? God is a God of his word. The devil wants you to think that he isn't. What's he do? So he comes to Eve and she, he says what? You surely won't die you surely won't die. Wait, whoa, whoa, But God told me I would die. Yeah, but He didn't mean it. He really won't make that happen. Listen to me. How many of you know there's a lot of times in your life where the enemy wants you to get doubt God's word? All right? He wants you to get think that God, that God isn't a God of His word. Here's what Romans tells us about that occasion Romans says that just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned, all right? So here's the deal. The Bible tells us that through one man's offense, many died. Death came into the world as a result of sin, all right? Penalty for sin in the garden was death. Penalty from Adam to Moses for sin was death. If you look in the book of the, of, uh, from Moses on... Even from Moses on, the penalty for sin was death, all right? So before Adam, Adam, Adam to Moses, after Moses, the penalty of sin was death. I want you to think about this. The penalty and payment for sin from cover to cover of the scripture has always been the same. New Testament and Old Testament, the penalty for sin, the consequence for sin has been the same, death, right? In the garden, they experienced death. In the Mosaic law, there was death. Read Leviticus. Read Leviticus. How many times the sinner got stoned? I am so glad I don't live during Leviticus. Right? I'm just, I'm telling you. Because I would have been dead a long time ago. We see animals dying. Animals dying to make atonement for the sins of the people. Death was the penalty for sin. Cover to cover of the Bible. Except... What happened in the New Testament is death was still required. It was still the consequence. But how many know the offender didn't die? You and I didn't die. Jesus paid the price when he died for our sins. It still was required. It still was the penalty. It still was the consequence. But praise God for Jesus that he's the one that took the death. Now, so let me me start with this, all right? I want to share with you a few things this morning about how is it that Jesus is the answer to death and I'll try to like get this in within three or four hours. If you're a Steelers fan, um, they don't play till 435. If you're a New England fan, nobody cares, all right? Um, okay, just letting you know right off the bat, nobody cares, Brett, nobody cares, all right? So w- when you get saved, you'll switch teams, okay, all right? But I, I, I want to talk about this because I, I really want us to get a grasp this morning because none of us like death. Who's willing, who, who wants to die today? Praise God. Who wants somebody you know to die? Don't you raise your hands, all right? (laughs) we just as soon not die today, all right? All right, so let's talk about this for a few moments. How is it that Jesus became God's answer for death that humanity would face? Well, the first thing I want you to know is the Bible tells us that Jesus is the answer to death because he shared our life, okay? Jesus shared our life. The Bible says that he left heaven, born of a virgin, born of a woman, born of the seed of the woman, born into the world, human, flesh and blood, all right? Listen to me this morning. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus wasn't flesh and blood like you, all right? that You cannot, okay? Let me give you a few scriptures. The Bible says in the very beginning, John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2, 7 but Jesus emptied himself, took on the form of a man, and being made in the likeness of men. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. All right? And so on and on we can go talking about the scripture giving us proof that Jesus came in the form of flesh and blood. If he didn't come in flesh and blood, how many know his death means nothing to us? His victory over death means nothing. Jesus lived the life of human flesh and blood, he wept. He got hungry, he got thirsty, right? Uh, There was, uh, he was born of a human mother. He was born a baby, he was a teenager. The only sinless teenager in the history of the world. (laughs) And let me tell you about that teenager, he did know everything. (laughs) The the next time your teenager tells you they know everything, you ask them that their name is Jesus. If they don't say yes to him, you don't know everything. All right. He, he, knew, he knew what sorrow was like. He was tempted like we were tempted, and yet he overcame. He suffered physical pain. He suffered physical flesh. Listen, there was physical death. Listen, his sacrifice on the cross was not a painless ordeal. He suffered. He cried. He, let me tell you something. The Bible tells us you know what the Antichrist spirit wants you to believe? The Antichrist spirit wants you to believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Listen to what John said. John said this, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test them. How do I test the spirits? To see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you'll know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that says Jesus came in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. All right. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming. In another place, John said in in, um, 2 John 2, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver and an Antichrist. The devil wants humanity to buy the idea that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he wasn't fully man, that he wasn't flesh and blood. The trick of the devil is to get you to believe that. He was fully flesh. He was a fully blood of man. He tasted the death of man. His victory over death means nothing if he didn't live a life of flesh and blood. To say that Jesus wasn't fully man denies the victory he won over sin and death. I, I, this is what I know. I know what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me he came fully flesh, fully man, fully flesh and blood. He walked through earth like you and I walked through this life and he did that. Now he was going to encounter something he shared in our life. I know that Jesus went through some of the same similarities that I've gone through in my life. He he understands what I went through. He understands what I go through. He He understood the limits of this flesh and blood life. Can you imagine, for just a moment, what it would be like to be God? Take on the form of a man who now has the limitations of this flesh and blood body. You mean I gotta walk to Jericho? You mean I gotta walk to Samaria? can I just kinda like blink my eyes and wave my hand and I can just be transported? Hmm? Man, (laughs) I'm stinking hungry. I'm thirsty. Like he's now encountering. Listen, this body has it has limits, doesn't it? I don't like the limits that I have sometimes, and then I get old, and I certainly don't like that. So we fight it. We're going down swinging, baby. Jesus came and encountered the limits of this flesh and blood. He's the answer to our death, to death, because he shared our life. But listen to me. Second point. I'm hurrying on. I want to get to the end. (laughs) You're saying, yes, please hurry on. We want you to get to the end, too. (laughs) Jesus is the answer to death because he shared our death. He shared our life, but he also shared our death. Hebrews says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death the bible says he shared our flesh and blood but the bible says he also shared our death now listen to me without sharing in our death jesus couldn't be the answer for death he can't be the answer of something and for something that he hasn't partook of He's got to understand it. He's got to know. He's got to encounter it. He has got to go through it if he's going to provide victory for it. All right? This, this is an incredible thing. Think about it. God sends his son to encounter something that humanity brought about by their own disobedience so that they would die in their sin. And God says, now I want my son to experience your death so that my son can provide a victory over your death. All right, it's an amazing thing. So Jesus comes, this is all still kind of introductory. So we know that he came fully flesh, fully man, fully blood. He lived and shared the life that we live. Then he shares in the death that we live. Now take me to the third one, all right? You're saying he's only got three points? No, no, I got 37, okay? Some of you are really nervous. 37, one minute apiece, that'd be 37 minutes. He can't say hello in one minute. We're going to be here forever. He's the answer to death because he shared our life. He's the answer to death because he shared our death. Now watch this. But Jesus is the answer to death because we share his resurrection. He came and he shared our flesh and blood limitations and our flesh and blood life, our humanity, our humanity. He came and he shared and he took part in our death. And now when God raised him from the dead, he's the answer to death because now I, you, me, everybody in here has the opportunity to share in his resurrection, all right? Jesus appeared to sh- share the same flesh and the same blood. But now I share his resurrection. First Peter said what? Bless be to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you how he did that. How how did God do that? How did Jesus do that? How did he become this answer to death? Yeah, we know he shared our life, and we know he shared in our death. And we know that God raised him from the dead, and now we share in his resurrection. How many know he shared what we have, and now we share what he has? We would have never faced resurrection without him having resurrection. Now, here we go. Now it's going to get really good, I think. All right? He's the answer to death because he's the destroyer of death. Come on. I'm Vlad the Deloveshoyer. Here's what the Bible says. Listen to this verse. But now, 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. Paul was talking to his protege, Timothy. He said, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many know that what we're celebrating at Christmas is the appearance of Jesus Christ on the world scene? It's his appearance. That's his, it, it, it's more than a baby in a manger. It's more than the story. of it. It's about God incarnate, God in flesh, the son of God appearing at a moment of time, the fullness of time, so that God can provide his answer to your sin, my sin, his adversary, my adversary, my death. And he would provide an answer for us because he came as the destroyer of death. He said he appeared as Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light from the God. How many of you would like today for somebody to appear in the scene who would abolish taxes? It ain't happening. All right? Come on. How many of you you'd like to see an abolitionist in your life that would just do away with some things? How many of you would like somebody to come today and abolish all the bills you have sitting at home? That'd be a great thing. Wouldn't it be great just to go home and all your bills are gone? And they're actually paid. Like you can throw them away. That won't do any good. That's hmm? just somebody got rid of them. They're no, they don't exist. I want to talk to you. This word "abolish" in this context. Several meanings. To render idle. To unemployed. To cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency. To deprive of force, influence, and power. To deprive of force, influence, and power. The Bible tells me that Jesus came on the scene, God sent his son, he appeared. The appearing of Jesus to take death and deprive it of its influence. To deprive it of its power. To deprive it of its influence in our lives. All right, I don't know about you, but I think that's really good, okay? Now, how how did he do this? How did he deprive death its influence? How did he deprive death of its power? and its force remember the verse i just told you hebrews chapter 2 inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death let me tell you about these two words in the that, that scripture in 1st timothy the word is abolish in the scripture in hebrews chapter 2 the word is destroy The word abolish and the word destroy in these two separate verses mean exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same word. Here's what the Bible. So here's what the Bible is saying. That Jesus appeared on the scene to abolish and destroy death. And the the way that he abolished and destroyed death was he abolished and he destroyed and he deprived the one who had power over death, who was the devil. All right. And, And so it's not just death he deprived. It was the enemy who held the power of death. Listen to what the Bible says, that he would destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death. Jesus shared our life, he shared our death, and his resurrection disarmed the one who had the power of death. Same exact word. The Timothy, he was depriving death of his force. In Hebrews, he was depriving and causing the person or thing They have no further efficiency. Let me tell you something. If you're the president of the United States, how many know it's your title that gives you influence, authority, and power? It's your office, right? If I take you out of office, how many of you, you no longer have that power, authority, and influence? When Jesus came, it wasn't just death he defeated. He defeated death, but he defeated the enemy who had the power. of. Do you know he had the power of death? I don't know about you. I don't want evil having the power of death. Think about that for a moment. Jesus deprived death of his power because he deprived the devil of his power. He deprived death of his force because he deprived the devil of his force. He deprived death of its influence because he deprived the devil of his influence. The death of Jesus was a death blow to death. The resurrection of Jesus was a death blow to the devil. All right. So so this morning, listen to me. He did this in your life and my life because he is the destroyer of death. But also, let me take you to the next one, that Jesus is the answer because he's the declarer of life. Come on. This is such a good portion of scriptures that I'm going to read to you. The Bible says he came as the initiator of light, life, and immortality. How many want to live forever? How many know you're going to live forever? I'm I'm like, how many want to? Nobody wants to. Well, too bad, you're going to. Whether you want to or not, baby, you're going to live forever. That's right. Listen what I said. That Jesus was revealed by the appearing of Jesus who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. Brought life and immortality. Not only did he come and destroy death, but he brought light and life. Death becomes, listen, listen to what death was. Death was an obstacle between light and men. Okay. Shadows, you know, a shadow is caused by the interception of light. Right. For centuries, men and women lived under the shadows caused by an obstacle called death by something that stood between them and God, by something that caused fear, uncertainty and bondage. The shadow of death is real. It hovers and it lingers. The scriptures are full of the shadow of death. Job knew about the shadow of death. He said, what my face is flushed from weeping. And my eyelids, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. David knew about the shadow of death. Yea, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Jeremiah wrote about the shadow of death. He says, neither did they say, where's the Lord? Or who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death. You see, the, 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 the Old Testament saints wrote about these things. And they knew what it was like. And Job wrote about it many times. But listen to me for a moment. But also, so also did Isaiah write about the shadow of death. Listen to this verse. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them, a light has shined. How many know that's Isaiah chapter nine? It's a messianic prophecy about Jesus Christ, the one who was gonna come as the wonderful counselor, mighty God. Remember that one, the prince of peace, the one whose government will rest upon his shoulders. Isaiah was prophesying that those who are sitting in the shadow of death will have a great light shine upon them. And then Amos, Amos spoke about it. The prophet Amos said, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, he turns the shadow of death into morning. It makes the day as dark as night. He calls the waters of the sea and pours them on the face of the earth. Listen to me. The one who came as the light and life of men swallowed up the shadow of death. He, how do you want to, you, I can get rid of, there, there's, right now there's a shadow of Josh right there. I can get rid of that shadow. All I got to do is tell Pastor Troy to give me a little light right there. That light will swallow up that shadow. How many of you ever, ever, ever in the summer when it's really hot, how many of you seek a shade tree? How many ever, ever, ever seek the shade? And the more the light comes over, the less the shade is. Do you understand? The Bible says that we've been living in the shadow of death until the appearing of Jesus. Until the appearing of Jesus, men and women and humanity sat in the land of darkness, in the land of the shadow of death. And yet the Bible says what? A light. Has dawned. Matthew chapter four said what? The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Listen to me. These are more than words and scriptures that we memorize. They are things that have substance to our life that I don't fear death because light has dawned. His name is Jesus. Notice this me. The, what the Bible say in John one? Remember what John one says? In the beginning... Was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. God said I got an answer for the shadow of death. I got an answer for the one who holds the power over death. I got an answer for death itself. And the answer is Jesus. Who's the light in the life of men. He came as the destroyer of death. He destroyed death because he destroyed the one who had the power of death. He came as the one who was the declaration, the declarer of life. And yet, let me give you another one. This really gets good, okay? Number three is he came and he came as, and he is the one who's the keeper of the keys. Come on. He is the keeper of the keys. Revelation chapter one, verse 18. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Do you get what he's saying? He said, whoa, it's me. I came, I lived a life. I walked this earth. I lived it in your, okay, but listen to me. He said, what? He said, but I was dead. I was, I died. I went to a grave. I went to a cross and I went to a grave and I was dead. But now I'm alive forevermore. Forevermore, an unbroken age, an unbroken moment of time, a perpetuity of time, eternity. I am alive forever. Listen to me this morning. If you get nothing else out of this, you take confidence in that your Savior who was resurrected from the grave, he lives forevermore. But here's what he said. Then he said, What? He said, Oh, and by the way, and I have the keys of hell and death, of Hades and Death. I got the keys. I got the keys. I wish I had the keys to Fort Knox. (laughs) How many is with me? I wish I had the keys to Fort Knox. I wish I had the keys to some of your houses. (laughs) They actually give me a key to this building. It's amazing, huh? I can't find them half the time. I get more key stories than you can even imagine. You don't want me to have the keys. I looked for keys for six days for a little Audi I had. Six days I looked for these keys. I looked everywhere for six days. I looked under the car. I looked under the seat. I looked everywhere. And one day I crawled in the passenger side of that car and I was going to look for the keys again. All I had was a little black fob about that big. And I'm looking everywhere. And I look up and there it was in the ignition. Six days. One day, I I get up early one morning. We get up for work. Penny and I lived up the mountain. We were going to work. She had to be there on time. We're going to be late. I can't find the keys to the car again. I'm looking everywhere for the keys to the car. Finally, we're running out of time. And I'm like, oh, man. So I called my mother, lived up the hill. I said, I need your car because I'm going to be late because I can't find the keys to our car. And I don't know, for some reason, I went to the closet. I went to the closet, and I picked up a pair of shoes. And guess what? We're inside the shoes. The keys to the car. Why are the keys in the shoes? I don't know. Because I think I sat down the night before on the stoop of the house where we come home, and I must have took them off and dropped them in the shoes. You don't want to trust me with the keys. There was one time. Because how many know he who, they who have the keys hold the power? There was one time years ago, I might have told you this story that we were dealing with a situation with some people that were, how do I want to say it? Well, I'll just say it the way it is. I was dealing with people who were doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and causing chaos in my family and my son's life and other lives and dealing with drugs and drug dealing and stuff like that. And, and it was after a Christmas party. Pastor Jim, we're talking 10 years ago or probably more, maybe 12 years ago. Pastor Jim had had enough. I was done. That's it. I went home from the Christmas party and I was putting Gangster Jim on. I went home, we walked up the mountain at this point. I went home and I was going to change clothes and I was coming back down the mountain and I was going looking and it was not going to end well. It was not going to be pretty. I was ticked. Bible says be angry and sin not, I was going to sin. Just telling you, how many of you ever been there? And so I went in to change clothes and I come out of the house and I'm gone. And at that time in my driveway, I had a 35 foot RV parked. And I pulled in with my Suburban beside the RV. And there's a wall here, my vehicle here, and the RV here. And Penny's car was parked this way behind my car. And she took all the keys to everything. (laughs) She took the keys to the Suburban. She took the keys to the car. She took the keys to the RV. And guess who was going to have to walk to Altoona? If there was going to be any problems, he's going to have to walk. And how many know by the time I would have walked four hours, I probably would have calmed down. <laughs> the point was, she who held the keys held the power. And I got to tell you something this morning. It's my God that holds the keys to death. It is not the devil. We run around. We, we run around sometimes and we think that the devil has the power of death. We think he holds the key. He don't got the stinking keys. Jesus says, I got the keys. I got the keys to death. I got the keys to hell. I got them. I bought them. I earned them. I went. I took them. They're mine. Come on. Think about it. Some imagine that the devil is somehow the Lord of hell. He's not. He's not. Hell was not his creation. It was created for him. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get this straight. He doesn't hold the key to Hell. He's not sending you to hell. He has no power over you. He has no power. He's a punk. Some imagine that he has the authority or power to determine life and death. Clearly they're wrong. For Jesus holds the keys. And I'm going to tell you something. He ain't letting them borrow them. Can you imagine Jesus, the devil? Oh, can I borrow the keys? No. Maybe that, can I borrow the keys to the car? Oh, Lord. I mean, that'll make you pray. The devil's not showing up saying, can I have the keys for a minute, Jesus? I need to borrow the keys. No, they're mine. They're mine. Let me tell you something about these keys. The key is amoral. Money's amoral. The internet's amoral. Money takes on the value system of that which holds it. Money takes on the values of the holder. The internet takes on the morals of you. One who holds the keys. The key is amoral. But how many know those keys are used for life. Those keys are used for life. The key locks and unlocks at the wish of the key keeper. The key is under the power of the one who holds it. Listen to me. The key is under the possession of one who cannot be stolen from. I am secure in the face of death because the keys are secure in his hand. You don't want me holding them. If I hold them, I'm going to lose them. I've got to tell you something. Have I got a daughter who's constantly losing keys? <laughs> it just means she has a great mind. And listen how much fun they're having in the nursery. She's in there today. Listen to me this morning. None of us really like the idea of dying and none of us like facing death. But there's a security and a certainty about death that comes from knowing he has the keys to death. What does this do in our life? You see, Jesus came and he was our answer to death because, listen, he shared our life. He shared our death. We share now in his resurrection. He did all this because he came, the Bible says, and he destroyed death. And he destroyed the one who had the power over death. He destroyed the one who had the power over death. Stop giving the devil credit for what Jesus disarmed him with, for. He came as the declarer of life to bring life and immortality that we will live forever. And I'm secure because he is the one who's the keeper of the keys. But what does it mean in my life? Well, there's a couple of things. Because he's the answer to death, the first one is we don't live in the fear of death any longer. Now again, I'm not relishing dying today. Maybe at five thirty after the Patriots whip us again, I will. <laughs> I'm a realist brother. <laughs> We don't live in fear of death. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We've been released from the fear of death. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Evil doesn't reign over death any longer. Can we get that in our mind? That evil does not reign over death any longer. Let us stop accrediting to evil that which it does not have. It does not reign over death. Evil does not reign over death. Why should I, listen to me, why should you or I fear death when the one who is totally righteous holds the keys to it? Why should I fear death when the one who died for my sins Holds those keys. And yet, many of us are scared to death. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I don't fear the evil associated with death because the one who held the power over death was arrested by the one who holds all power and authority. The second thing it does for us And I'll get ready to close. The second thing it does for us is we don't mourn as men without hope in the face of death. Everybody in this room, for the most part, has lost loved ones. Have had loved ones pass away, die, friends, family, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandparents, friends. And yet we mourn, and we should mourn. I've said it a thousand times at funerals. We should mourn, we should grieve. It should hurt. It's indicative of the relationship we have with people. And yet I don't mourn without hope. Remember what Paul said? You know the scripture. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. How many of you believe that Jesus rose again? Huh? It should, be, it should be the basis of your mourning. It should be the foundation of your mourning. Yes, I mourn, and yes, I grieve, and yes, I miss that person, and yes, I'm going to have sorrow, and yet I don't have sorrow without hope. I have hope because Jesus was the answer to death. He says this, and Paul goes on. He says, for in this way to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't mourn without hope. I mourn and I grieve. But I don't do it void of hope. I mourn and I grieve. But I mourn and grieve with the faith and belief that my savior rose from the dead. And the Bible promises me that there's a day that the dead in Christ are going to rise just like he did. And the Bible promises me that if I'm alive in that moment, when it happens, I'm going to be caught up together with them, together with them, together with them. Come on. Let me know there's a grand reunion in the sky going to take place someday. There's a grand reunion in the sky. And the reason that the grand reunion in the sky is going to take place is because there was another grand reunion that took place. It's when Jesus came out of the grave and daddy said, come on, it's time to get up. Come on, you got the keys. Good. Let's go. Do you understand this morning? And now you and I, we're left to live with this thing called death. But we live with this thing, death, all death very differently because of the one who was the answer to death. You might have sorrow today, but you don't have sorrow without hope. You might have fear today, but you don't have to have fear of death. Oh, there's certainly uncertainty to it. There's anxiety connected to it. Of course there is. And yet there's somewhere in there, there's a subtle quiet confidence that even though I face it and even though I go through it, I shall not fear it. Because of what Jesus did. Jesus is God's answer to death. God sent his son. Montreal. God Said in the fullness of time, I'm going to bring my son upon the earth, and my son is going to be the answer to their sin. How many of you know this morning he was the answer to sin, which was the problem, and he also was the answer to death, which was the consequence? He's my answer. I got no answer for sin, I got no answer for sin, man. But God provided me one. And his name is Jesus. I got no answer for the adversary sometimes, even though I like to sing to him. <laughs> Here I am, punk, still worshiping him. There I am, punk, I'm still worshiping him. Come on. I got no answer for the adversary, but I got Jesus. I got no answer for death. But I got Jesus. I'm going to remind you of scripture. I forgot to read the scripture. I'm going to do that. What's it tell us? Jesus appears, listen to me, Jesus appears on the scene where we see him encounter many of these things that we talk about in life. He shows up at the tomb of a friend named Lazarus. Remember the story? And when he shows up there, he said to him, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Let me read it to you. Martha came running to Jesus, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she said, what? I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this? My question to you this morning is, do you believe this? My question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? He said, listen, He said, I'm the resurrection, and I'm the life. Believe in me. Believe in me. I'm the answer. I'm the answer to death. I'm the answer to resurrection. I'm the answer to life. I'm the answer to immortality. I'm the answer. Believe in me, and you'll never die. I don't have to fear something. I don't have to fear death when Jesus made me a promise, and the promise He made me was believe in Me and you'll live forever. And I'm not talking about living together in this flesh and blood body. Hmm? My question is: Do you believe this? Because when you believe it, it makes all the difference in your life. Death brings a lot of questions. Death brings a lot of uncertainty. Death brings fear. Death brings sorrow. But Jesus brings an answer to death. Father, this morning. Father, this morning in this house. It's a funny thing to talk about death at the Christmas season. But why would we not talk about it for a moment whenever you were the answer to it? That you sent your son as the answer to sin that brought death. You brought your son as the answer to the adversary who used sin against us and who once held the power over death. But you sent your son to be the payment of that sin and to be an answer to the adversary who now is the answer to death. (laughs) As a father today, I thank you for the answer the answer, who is Jesus. I thank you for sending your son. I thank you that I can view death through a window, through a spectrum, through a person named Jesus. When I view it without that window, it's dark, it's dreary, it's ugly. It creates a shadow. But when I view it through Jesus. A light has dawned. So, Father, I pray that when I ask the question that your son asked, do you believe this? I ask, I I hope, and I pray that every person in this room today would say, yes, I believe that he is the resurrection life. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for him being the answer. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. How many of you might view death a little different this morning? Just a little bit. Come on. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. The conversation starter was, what would you like said at your funeral? This is what I once said at my funeral. He ain't dead. Death was arrested. Jesus was the answer. Come on. (laughs) Have a great week, man. We'll see you Christmas Eve. Have a great week.